Okay, that's good. Okay, good to see everybody here today, and uh, thank God for the nice weather, so that uh, we are not uh, too tired. Okay, let's go to God in prayer now. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, I really pray that as we study your word once again, as we do every Sunday, that it will speak to us, and that uh, it only speak to us because of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, which guides us and instructs us, and uh, seals it in our heart. And we pray that truly uh, the realities that it speaks about here uh, will be something that uh, convicts us to live our lives in preparation for the future. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, uh, one preacher was saying that uh, in life there are many stages that we go through, but at each stage of life uh, there is a shadow. There's always something in the future which casts a shadow over our life, which we have to be ready for, right? And uh, I think it happens at quite a young age, isn't it? Because I remember even when you're studying for your uh, primary school, there's always this thing in the future which is casting a shadow over you, which is called the PSLE. And then when you go to secondary school, there's this other shadow which is cast over you called your O-levels, and then so on and so forth. But I think that uh, in every stage of life, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, there's something negative ahead. I mean, there could be positive things. So maybe it could be uh, the expected birth of a child, or maybe marriage. And again, uh, when you have set something in front of you, 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 are, you are preparing yourself for it. I mean, there's no point getting married, but then you haven't uh, got someone to solemnize your marriage. There's no hall that's booked, and you haven't got your wedding dress ready, right? You need to prepare for all these things. Well, I think that as we've been going through the book of Revelation, it t- tells us that every single person in the world has to prepare for something that's coming in the future. And it is not death, right? Death is the, is the small change of life. But there is even something greater than death that every person has to be prepared for. And that is the judgment of God and the coming reign of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been looking at uh, basically over the last 19 chapters of the book of Revelation. Because the theme, the big picture, the big context that keeps being repeated, if there is one throughout the book of Revelation, is the coming judgment and the reign of God and of Jesus Christ. So just to give you an idea, just to uh, recap what we've been looking at just very quickly, uh, we've seen a series of of, of visions, and each of these visions have, if you want, uh, more or less seven little pictures involved in them, right? So we had the seals, uh, which basically spoke of judgment, the judgment which was coming to the world, there were seven pictures, and then we had the trumpets, and there were seven of them, and then there were seven visions of conflict between Satan and, and God. And again, there were seven bowls. And at each of these visions, basically the, the theme, uh, I'm sure you agree with me, was judgment and the coming reign and rule of God and Jesus. And uh, as we came to chapter 16 and 17, next slide, again we saw the, the vision change, and we were looking at the great Babylon, right? The great Babylon, which symbolized civilization with all its anti-God thinking and culture and living, and how she was pitted against God's people. And again, uh, as we saw last week, chapter 19, uh, the very last vision comes of Jesus coming on this great white horse who defeats all the nations which are arrayed against him through the, the power of the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. Okay, so that's where we are in a nutshell, in about one minute, a one minute summary of chapter 1 to 19. And I think it's very important for us to remember the big picture and the big context because it's something we have to keep in mind as we come to chapter 20. Because chapter 20 is really one of the most controversial 
chapters of uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, if, you, if you actually go to some of the sermons on the, on the internet, somehow they, 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 uh, they skip chapter 20, right? Okay? But chapter 20 is, I mean, if you look at all the commentaries, the most controversial chapter of the Bible, and, and it helps us to remember the big picture, the big theme of the book of Revelation is judgment and the reign of God. Because if we lose that, then we've sort of lost what God wants to tell us. So the first thing you have to do, if you look in your Bibles, you need your Bibles today, right? Because uh, we really need to look at God's Word closely every week, and God's Word is what's instructing you, not my words. And the first thing you really need to do, therefore, as you come to chapter 20, is if you have an ESV Bible or NIV Bible, you need to scrub out the subtitle at the top, which says, The Thousand Years. Because really, when you look at chapter 20, if you look at the theme of chapter 20, it's not so much about the thousand years, but it's about what God is doing during this time of thousand years and after the thousand years, which is judgment and the reign of Jesus Christ. So today in chapter 20, as really, if you look at chapter 20, you can divide it up into, I guess, three or four pictures, right, within this vision. And you'll see that even within each of the pictures, it's not so much about the thousand years, but what about, it's what about what God is doing uh, during this thousand years and after this thousand years. Okay? So you can uh, get your liquid paper or your marker and scrub out the thousand years. And we'll begin in chapter 20, verse 1, which says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his right, in his, no, sorry, this didn't say his right hand, I added that in myself, in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Okay, this is the first snapshot of picture. And, and immediately we are reminded that uh, it's, it's following the rest of the book of Revelation because it's very symbolic in nature. So we know that the book of Revelation is, is, uses a lot of symbolism, right? Like remember, seven is a very important number. Jesus is described as the Lamb. Uh, the, 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 the saints wear white robes uh, and uh, Satan is the dragon. So here, uh, Revelation, as we look at it, doesn't come to us in a series of videos, but in a series of visions. Not a photograph, but a drawing. And uh, unfortunately, our resident artist has gone on holiday so I don't have any more pictures to show you. But, uh, but what does this picture symbolize when we look at chapter 20, verse 1, 2, 3, right? Uh, well, obviously, the dragon here, we're told, symbolizes the Satan, right, who is the devil. And uh, there are four metaphors given. It says there he is bound with a chain. He is sent to the abyss, which is like a very deep, bottomless pit. And he's locked and he's sealed. So, the picture here is not a literal picture. We don't expect uh, Satan to be bound with a chain, like, you know, my pet dog. When guests come, you know, we put a chain around him. And neither do we look some deep tunnel under the ocean for Satan. But the overall picture means that Satan is put out of action. Right? He's limited in some way. He's restrained. Like, you know, you put a chain on, on a dog. You, you're holding him back. You're, you're restraining the dog. But what kind of restraint... And what kind of uh, limitation is facing Satan? Well, in verse 3, you look at the words carefully, it says, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. Okay, so 
That's all very straightforward, right? So, Satan is bound uh, in some way to keep him from deceiving the nations. Uh, So, what's so controversial about that? Uh, Well, if you think about it, the question is, uh, for many people, is when is this going to happen? When is this binding going to happen? Is it something that happens in the future? Something that happens now? Something that happened in the past? Okay, now, this is where you need to get your brain on, okay? Because this is where uh, I'm going to start looking at it uh, a bit more deeper. And you need to put your brain together. If you can't follow it, then you can come and speak to me later. But the question is, when is this thousand years going to happen? In the future, in the now, or in the past, okay? And in what sense is Satan bound? Okay, this is the key. Okay, if there's the key to this passage in terms of understanding when this is going to happen, it is, when is Satan bound? So, if you look up here in these slides, it will help you to understand it a bit. Okay, so, this is the key. What does it mean to bind Satan, or to seal Satan, or to put the door over Satan, or to throw him into the abyss, right? Well, what sort of limitation do we see in Satan's actions in deceiving the nations? Okay, next slide. Okay, so, for uh, this group of people, who are called the pre-millennialists, okay? I'll explain the pre a bit later. But you, I'll, I'll try to talk a bit slower so, so that you can get your mind around it. So they say that the word binding here of Satan, we'll use the word binding, huh? it's easier, instead of seal and all that stuff, means that Satan is completely inactive. That means he has no power whatsoever. Now, if that's the case, then uh, Satan being bound must be sometime in the future. Because they say, well, look around you today. Satan is at work. Can't you see? You know, like he's deceiving this people, he's deceiving that people. He's not completely inactive, you know. The chain doesn't seem to be around Satan's neck. And, uh, and that's why, if this is, a, uh, this is a timeline, by the way, if you don't know what you're looking at. This is a timeline, that's the cross, and this is uh, you and me. We're very happy people. Right? That's why it's a smiley face, okay? So therefore, sometime in the future, Satan, the great serpent, will be bound. It cannot be now, the premillennialists say, because evil still seems to be manif- you know, manifested here in this life, this world. And even in the Bible, next slide, you see that to be true, you see. They'll say, well, you look at the Bible, and uh, in Luke chapter 22, didn't you see Judas? He was deceived by Satan, so Satan was acting in his heart. And Ananias as well, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, it says the devil entered into Ananias' heart so that he lied about how much money he was giving the church. And again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, right, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. Well, it doesn't look like he's, he's leashed at all, right? He's prowling around. He's free. Okay, so... The pre-millennials will say, well, that 1,000 years is sometime in the future because, you know, the, the devil's at work now. Okay? There's another group of people called the post-millennialists. Okay? And they say that uh, this binding of uh, Satan uh, is, is shown because the world is getting better and better. There's less and less influence of evil in this world. So, if the pre-millennialists are sort of looking for the 1,000 years in the future then the post-millennialists are sort of saying, well, it's happening sometime now, but we just can't see when, but as the world gets better and better, right, we are seeing that God is binding Satan. Right? So, 
That's why uh, I put us here, the smiling faces, and Satan is around here and he's bound, and therefore there's all these question marks because we don't know when. I mean, the, the post-millennialists don't know when the thousand years have started, right? But it just means that the world is getting a better and better place, and the gospel is spreading, people are getting more and more uh, godly, and things like that, okay? Now, the next slide, okay, is uh, the last group, which are the group of people called the A Millennium people, A Millennialists. And uh, they say that the binding of Satan, right here, comes in the past. Comes in the past when, when Jesus came into the world and went to the cross. Okay, are you, are you following me? Right. So, when is Satan bound? When is he sealed? When, when Jesus comes to the world and goes to the cross. So, it's in the past. See, that's why we are here in the future and it's in the past. And the reason they say that is because uh, if you read the Gospels, uh, the four stories about Jesus, the four historical accounts about Jesus, uh, there, there are many times uh, where throughout the Gospels, it is said that in Jesus' ministry, uh, in terms of casting out demons and going to the cross and things like that, he is binding Satan. So I'll give you the, the two most prominent ones. Uh, okay, it's slightly smaller font because I've got lots of print here. Okay, but you can look at it yourself in the Bible. I'll write it down and look it up later. In Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 23, uh, Jesus has been casting out demons. And uh, the Pharisees are saying that Jesus is doing it because he is empowered by Satan. Right? They think, they, you know, they have this weird idea that Jesus has the power of Satan, therefore he can cast out demons. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus called to them, the Pharisees, and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he can rob his house. Now, this is uh, significant and important because Jesus here says that he is the strong man who ties up. And actually, the word tie up here is actually exactly the same word in Revelation 20 as bind. Jesus is the strong man who binds uh, Satan so that he can rob his house. So, uh, you know, the amillennials say, well, look, when Jesus came, he tied up uh, Satan's soul. The, the, the thousand years began in the past, right? And in in another chapter, in another section, uh, John chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Uh, so, here again, he's saying that through his death, he's driving uh, the prince of this world, another name for Satan, out of this world. Okay, so next slide. So that's why uh, the A millennials will say that, uh, that's why it's called A millennialist, but millennium, by the way, because the A literally means there is no millennium. There is, it's, it's not a literal millennium, because obviously between here and where we are today is uh, more than a thousand years, right? It's uh, actually a thousand times two, la, okay? 
So that's why it's a millennium. Okay, so basically these are the three main ways that we can understand the thousand years or binding. So it depends on how you understand binding of, of Satan. If you see the binding of Satan as a complete inactivity, then you'll think that the thousand years is in the future. If you think that the binding of Satan is the world getting better and better, then you'll think that uh, the thousand years is starting now, or maybe sometime in the near future, but you don't know when. Or, if you're an amillennialist and you think that Satan is limited when Jesus comes into the world and he's starting to cast out Satan and his power, then you'll be an amillennialist. So how then uh, can we decide which one is right? Okay, you may not agree with me. Uh, I'm just giving you some of the points okay, that uh, show you the strengths and weaknesses of the different positions. Now, the biblical uh, principle is whenever we can't find an answer within that small section that we're looking at, where do we go to next? We look slightly wider, right? So we look chapter 19, we look chapter 21, we look chapter 18, 22, the rest of Revelation, the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Old Testament, the whole Bible, okay? So, if we can't kind of understand, okay, what does the binding mean and what does a thousand years mean, then let's look outside of chapter 20 and see, uh, you know, maybe we can get some sort of idea which one makes more sense. Now, next slide. The problem with the pre-millennial position, I think anyway, uh, is that the pre-millennial position says, okay, now again, you, you need to concentrate again. The way they understand it is that chapter 19 and chapter 20 are linked chronologically. So, they follow in time. Chapter 19 in time is followed by chapter 20. So, in chapter 19, to bring your mind back, right, the end of chapter 19, if you read chapter 19 in your Bibles, which should be right in front of you now, you'll see that Jesus comes as uh, this great warrior king who defeats all the nations of the world who are arrayed against him through the sword of his mouth, the word of God. You, you remember that? Okay, that's good. Okay, now, so the, the premillennials will say that, next slide, it's all chronological, you see, so Jesus comes here, and sometime in the future, chapter 19 will happen, Jesus will come as a great warrior king, and he'll defeat all the nations and all the, the you know the beasts, the first beast and the false prophet, and then will come the thousand years where Satan is completely inactive. Now, part of the problem is then if you look at the, the, the details of chapter 19 and 20, that there is a problem with looking at chapter 19 and 20 in a sequential chronological way. And why is that? Okay, next slide. Because last week. Uh, not just last week, but if you look in your Bibles every day, <laughs> right? Uh, verse 7 to uh, verse 21 of chapter 19 says that, uh, if you remember last week, the whole of the world is arrayed in battle against uh, Jesus and uh, God's people. Right? And then uh, God says, He calls out to the birds and says, okay, there's going to be a great supper. And uh, this is the, the great feast for the birds of all the, the dead people who die in this battle. And who are the dead people? The, the dead people are those who are standing against Jesus because with the word of his mouth, remember, all the enemies of God die. Right? So, it says here, and I'll read it out to you literally, an angel standing in the sun cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-air, 
Come and gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people. Okay? Uh, very important. The flesh of all people. Free and slay, small and great. And in verse 21, The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now there is a problem with this, because in the next slide, right? Uh, if chapter 19, Jesus comes and defeats all the nations, chapter 20, Satan is sealed for a thousand years, but then after that he's released, and then he deceives the nations into fighting against God again. Well, logically that doesn't make sense because if in chapter 19 all the nations are already defeated, then who is Satan deceiving in chapter, at the end of chapter 20? You see, that, that, that's one of the problems that is being faced. So, next slide. So, that's why some of the people say that that's one of the weaknesses of the pre-millennial position because uh, if already all the people have already been defeated in chapter 19, then where are the nations that are still there which, uh, which Satan will deceive later on? Okay, which, is, which is a logical, uh, logical problem that, they have to, that we have to solve if you want to take the pre-millennium position. Okay, so that's one of the weaknesses. Next slide. So, uh, if there is a weakness in the pre-millennium position, it's not consistent with their view that chapter 19 counts before chapter 20. I hope you're still following me. But if you're not, you can talk to me later. Right, okay? Now, the problem with the post-millennium position, okay, is that it's not consistent with the rest of the book of Revelation. It's not just the problem of chapter 19, but it's, it's inconsistent with the whole of Revelation. Because... Um, the post-millennium position says that the world is going to become a better and better place and more and more people will become Christian and there will be more and more righteous and godly in the world. But, as we have seen in the book of Revelation, uh, all the visions that we've seen so far are not, uh, re- they're not one after another. They are sort of replays of the same event. Remember, we said like they are like uh, the same event seen from a camera looking at it from different angles. And you must remember, next slide, when you look at the, each of the visions of the past, are things getting better and better? Or things getting worse and worse? Things keep getting worse and worse, right? In the seals, in the trumpets, in the bowls, the judgments keep getting worse and worse and worse, and people become more and more rebellious against God. So, just to re- refresh your memory, next slide. Okay, remember, uh, when you looked at the um, chapter Revelation chapter 9, again, this might be a bit small, Revelation chapter 9, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality and their thefts. Revelation chapter 9. Okay, Revelation chapter 16, which is here, right? Okay, this is the, the bowls. Uh, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people of fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his, his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men more, gnawed, 
uh, their tongues in agony and curse the God of heaven because of their pains and their stores. But they, again, they refuse <coughs> to repent of what they have done. So, um, the post-millennial view where uh, Satan being bound means the world is getting better and better and better. It's a very optimistic view of uh, the world, right? More people become Christians, more people repent, more righteousness. It seems to be very consistent with the visions of chapter 19, oh, sorry, of the whole of the book of Revelation. And that's why uh, the post-millennial view is not very popular anymore. Lah. It was only really popular, I think the turn of, uh, not this century, but the 1800s, where the British Commonwealth <coughs> was very powerful. You know, they were in India, they were in Singapore, they were all these places. So, many people felt that with the growth of the, the British Commonwealth, uh, you know, there were more missionaries going out into the world, more people speaking English, right? People getting more civilized. So, there was a post-millennial view of the world. But nowadays, you know, after the World War One, after World War Two, after Cold War, after 9-11, people are sort of, they don't sort of believe in uh, uh, this sort of post-millennial thing. Because they look at the world and the world's not getting, becoming a better place, right? It's, 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 it seems to be getting worse. But, at the end of the day, uh, if you look at this passage, the millennial thing, the millennial view, uh, is not really that important because what is the point of verse 1 to 3? It's not really about 1,000 years, but it's about what happens, isn't it? The whole point is that Satan is bound and restricted by God. Right? And Satan is set free for a short time. Notice, look at the words there. It doesn't say that Satan breaks free for a short time. It is he is set free for a short time. So the whole theme and point of this section, this picture, is not about the thousand years, but it is about the point that God is in control of Satan. And that if you are on God's side, uh, you can have assurance that God is in control of Satan and his power is restricted. Like someone was saying, you know, we are very interested in when, 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 right? So we go to the astrologer, go to fortune teller, feng shui expert, palm reader, when is this going to happen, right? But Revelation chapter 20 is not so interested in when, but in what is going to happen. And what is going to happen? It is Satan is under God's control, Satan is set free for war, and Satan is judged. That's what is going to happen. It's not so much when it's going to happen, but we must focus on what is going to happen. Satan has no power uh, over God. God has power over Satan and will eventually win. So, that's the first section, okay? Verse 1 to 3. And uh, I hope you can see that the key thing there, which will determine where you are in terms of the millennium, is your understanding of the word bound. How is Satan bound? Once you understand that, then it's very simple whether it's now, past, or present, or future. But the point is not so much the thousand years, the point is Satan is bound. Satan is controlled by God. Now, <coughs> for those of you who are still following me, uh, the next section is uh, just as complicated, but just as important. So let's look at the next picture, verse 4 to 6. Mm, I was going, actually, I had some illustrations, some jokes, but then the sermon would have gone for too long, so I took it out. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Uh, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image had come, oh, sorry, and had not received his mark on his forehead or their hands. 
They came to life and reigned with Christ uh, for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now, if the controversy in the first section is about the word bound, then the controversy in the second section is really boils down to what does it mean to come to life. You see that? Come to life in verse 4. It's up here on the slide. Right? If you can understand what this come to life means, uh, then it will determine whether you see the thousand years in the future or you see the thousand years now. Because <clears throat> there are two ways to understand come to life. Look. Next slide. Come to life can mean physical resurrection. I mean, that's the general way of understanding. I mean, dead, come to life, right? Physical resurrection. Lying on the ground, in the grave, get up again. It can also mean spiritual uh, resurrection. That means that we are dead, but then now when we are born again in Jesus Christ, we are spiritually resurrected. Uh, we're not going to worry about the post-millennium view because I think that it's quite weak and, 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 and basically, uh, I won't address it now because then it will just take too long, right? <clears throat> we just look at the, the main two views that most people have. That means the pre-millennium and the and a-millennium. See, if you believe in the physical resurrection, if you believe that Cain's life here means physical resurrection, then you will have a pre-millennium view because you will see Jesus coming and then everybody physically comes back to life with Jesus for a thousand years. If you have the idea of a spiritual resurrection, you know, when you are born again, you're spiritually resurrected, then you will have a, a millennium view because you, you will think that, okay, when Jesus came on the cross, then uh, when we all become Christians, we will rise and we will rule and reign with Him. So, uh, next slide. So basically, this is the, uh, the pre-millennium view, which, is a, you know, which I just talked about. So here, it's a physical resurrection when Jesus comes again. All these people, that's why they're so happy, right? They're, they will rise again and be with Jesus for a thousand years. Physical resurrection. Pre-millennial view. So that's why it's called pre-millennium. Okay? This is where the words come from. Pre because Jesus comes pre before the 1,000 years. Okay? That's why it's called pre-millennium. That's a good way to remember why it's called pre-millennium. Jesus comes before the 1,000 years. Okay, next slide. But then the, if you think of, spirit, if it's a spiritual came to life, spiritual resurrection, then you'll see that Jesus came here and every time anybody becomes a Christian, they rise to new life with Jesus. That's why it's called a millennium. That means there's no idea, there's no millennium. The 1,000 years is not a literal 1,000 years. It's just a, a period of time which is long, but it's limited. Now, which one is got more going for it in terms of the Bible evidence. Because, you know, we are faithful Christians. We take the word seriously. What does, what does the word tell us? How do we decide which one is it? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Now, next slide. Um, <clears throat> looking at it just from chapter 19. If you only had chapter 19, the pre-millennium evidence is extremely persuasive and powerful. Now, if you just had chapter 19... 
and just looked at the words, the natural meaning of the words, uh, the premillennial view makes the most sense. Why? Because if you look here, right, if I just gave you this sentence, it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, the, the dead do not come to life. Now, if you think of coming to life and dead put together, it, it means physical resurrection, isn't it? I mean, dead come to life. What else can it mean, right? Okay? Uh, and also, another powerful uh, persuasive thing is, next slide, is that in the book of Revelation, the word came to life is also used two other times. Earlier on in the book of Revelation, in, the, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, uh, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life. Again. Right? So, same word. Exactly the same word. Right? And, and obviously, in Revelation chapter 2, he's talking about Jesus' death and physical resurrection. Right? Okay, and in Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, it talks about uh, this beast, the first beast, and he was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Uh, the word here, lived, is actually the, the word came to life. So, from, the, from just looking at the plain meaning of the word, came to life, from the book of Revelation, uh, from the context of Revelation chapter 19, people say, look, seems to be physical resurrection, right? So, uh, that's why the pre-millennial position has very powerful and persuasive grounds for people following it. So if it's so clear and so persuasive and so logical, then why is it uh, people also hold to the amillennial position as in, uh, you know, a spiritual resurrection? I mean, why then? Well, <clears throat> and that's where, uh, if you look at the rest of the Bible, um, you will, you, will, you will get more support for the amillennial position than if you just look at chapter 19. The reason is, <clears throat> if you look at the rest of the Bible, there is no concept of millennium in the Bible except in Revelation chapter 20. There's, you can look, for those of you who have your snazzy iPhone or iPad or whatever, or do your word search, right? There is no 1,000 years apart from Revelation chapter 20, millennium view, right? In fact, biblically, there is only like two ages in the Bible. There is the age now and the age to come. Okay, that's the, that seems to be the biblical picture. And within the Bible, there is the idea of spiritual resurrection and physical resurrection. Okay, the, if you look at the rest of the Bible, that's how we, we think of it. You know, we are, we are born again, spiritual resurrection, and we are raised again physically. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, right, this is what it says. Notice this is present tense, not future tense, huh? Tenses, you know, time, right? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions for it is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable great riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You notice this is past tense or present tense. He doesn't say, He will raise you, or uh, that you, are, you will be alive. He says, you are alive. Right? You are alive in Christ Jesus. You have been raised with Christ. So, within the Bible, there is the idea of spiritual resurrection and then physical resurrection to come. So, what they do is, the next slide. So, if you actually look at, uh, <coughs> this is where it gets a bit 
complicated. Not that the rest is not complicated. Right? Maybe I shouldn't keep using the word complicated. It's very simple. Very simple, very simple. Okay? Now, if you look at, the, if you look at the, this section, there's actually, uh, people say there's a parallel, you see? So, there is a first death, which means the physical death of everybody. Uh, then there's a second death, which Revelation again tells us is the spiritual death. You die, you go into the lake of fire forever, and you suffer. And it means judgment. Uh, second death means judgment. So, uh, the rest of the Bible agrees and says, well, look, there's also the first resurrection, spiritual resurrection, and there's a general second resurrection for everybody, and then they are judged. So, the A millennialist looks at chapter 19, uh, sorry, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, from the framework of, of the other parts of the Bible, and says, well, this is what it must mean, you see. Right? It's talking about the first spiritual resurrection, second one, physical resurrection. So, next slide. So the, the A millennials will read like this. Uh, he'll read the verse, and then he'll say, well, um, next, oh, that's right, sorry, he'll say, came to life spiritually, okay, the person comes to life spiritually, and then, the rest of the dead, who are physically dead, right, they did not have this, they will not come to life physically until the end. And then, there is a second death, a spiritual death, which is, which will not touch those who are spiritually raised with Jesus Christ. Now you can see that both ways of reading it uh, make sense, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're logical ways of reading it. Okay, next slide. So again, the, actually, I, I, I put the slides the wrong way around. I should have put this earlier. But you can see that from the rest of the Bible, it, it seems to not uh, have the idea of the thousand years because the other parts of the Bible, which sort of says they're only just two ages or when Jesus comes again, that's it, game over, right? So in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus says, If anyone speaks a word against the Son of Man, uh, he will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So Jesus is basically saying there's no 1,000 year intermediate period. There's just two ages. Uh, unless you decide to miss out 1,000 years. right? Again, uh, in Paul... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is his most extended passage on the resurrection, Paul doesn't talk about an intermediate uh, resurrection, right? He seems to talk about uh, an immediate death and then the resurrection, right? Uh, Jesus coming and everybody raised. So let me read to you verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 23. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come, and when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. See, when, when Jesus comes, all those who belong to him will come, and then the end will come. It doesn't say anything about a thousand years, right? <clears throat> Again, in 2 Peter, it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. <clears throat> the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything of it will be laid bare. So, it depends on how you understand uh, this came to life. Is it physical or is it spiritual? Okay, so next slide. So, each one has its own strengths. And I <coughs> really want to say that uh, for me, when I was studying this passage, it's very hard to decide. Because when you actually look at all the evidence, they're both very strong. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me. 
I have here uh, two commentaries that I use. Both of them supposedly highly recommended, highly um, chim. This one is very thick, right? You can like look at this this book, like can look at five pages on just one word, okay? So this one, they're both like highly, highly recommended uh, by different journals and everything. <clears throat> and I've been using it to prepare for the book of Revelation and almost everything that they say, after many, many, many pages of discussion and weighing up this and all sorts of funny things, right? They will come to the same conclusion. Except in Revelation chapter 20. Because in Revelation chapter 20, one person will say the binding means this. And then the other person will say, oh, the binding means that. And then one other person will say, oh, came to life means this. The other person will say, came to life means that. So at the end of the day, actually, it just shows you how difficult it is to decide between the pre-millennium and the a-millennium position, whether the thousand years is in the future, literally one thousand years, or whether it's when Jesus comes, and it's uh, not literal one thousand years. But actually, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to read to you what this guy wrote. Excellent uh, thing he wrote about this. He said, actually, in, in, uh, in our studies of the Bible, there are first level issues that we must always be in agreement and settle. So there are first level theological issues, uh, which are doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. Like the Trinity, uh, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith, the authority of Scripture, the knowledge of God. Right? So all these things, we must be in agreement. Because it's very clear in the Bible, right? It's, it's, it's not something which is uh, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out. But he goes on to say that there are other order issues, or lower order issues, in which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship. Right? Uh, even within local congregations. And he says, I would put most of the debates of eschatology in this category. Uh, Christians who affirm the bodily, historical and victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ may defer over the timetable and sequence without rupturing the fellowship of the church. Okay? And he says, um, uh, Christians may find themselves in disagreement over a number of issues regarding this uh, eschatology. But nevertheless, standing together on issues of more important urgency, right, believers are able to accept one another without compromise uh, on this issue. And I think that's a very good point. Uh, this guy is uh, Albert Moeller. Right? And he was saying that this issue of eschatology is, is, is not something that identifies us as Christians because there are much more important issues which regard salvation. And at the end of the day, how we see the thousand years is not going to determine whether our salvation. It's not going to affect our salvation. In fact, over the whole course of history, I can't think of anybody who's been burnt at the stake because they are pre-millennialists or amillennialists, right? I mean, that's just the view you take. So, again, <coughs> I've got a, another book here, which is uh, called the Book of Confessions, which has all the different creeds. You know, a creed is like the Apostles' Creed. You know, we said, we said the Apostles' Creed at the beginning. You know, there's a Westminster Confession, all that sort of stuff. Now, if you go to the creeds, You'll notice, oh by the way, the creeds are basically uh, a, a, a list of uh, orthodox um, Christian beliefs that are necessary for people to hold on to for salvation. But you'll never, if you go to the book of, of, of creeds or, or confessions, there's nothing about millennium. Because over the centuries, people don't see our understanding of millennium as, as essential for uh, our salvation, right? So whether you believe in 1,000 years to come, whether you believe 1,000 years now, uh, you, will still be, you will still be saved because you're looking at the Bible 
in a, in, in a faithful way. And the end result is the same. Now, uh, I know that in America, uh, there are these uh, group of people called, especially ex- extreme dispensational premillennialists, who basically base their whole Christian faith on the understanding of the millennium, right? So they, they see that you must go to Israel, you must rebuild the Israel state, you must rebuild the temple, you must do the uh, sacrificial system again. But, but that's not the whole point of Revelation chapter 20. You see, the whole point of Revelation chapter 20 is to make sure that you are part of the first resurrection, isn't it? Look at the Bible properly. Look at what it says. Blessed right, are those who are part in the first resurrection. That is the key. So look up here. The key is not what is the 1,000 years, but it is to be part of that first resurrection. Uh, blessed, being blessed is very important in the book of Revelation because it only happens seven times. So you have to pay attention when the word blessed comes here. So blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Right? So the key here is not what is the 1,000 years. The key here is are you part of the first resurrection? If you think of it as a spiritual resurrection, are you born again in Jesus Christ? If you think of it as the literal rebirth, you know, sometime in the future, are you, are you part of that first resurrection, that physical resurrection? Because... The most important thing is that you don't want to be part of the second death. So, the key here is, what are the marks of those who are part of the first resurrection? Well, it says that those who kept the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 4. And they kept the word of God. They did not worship the beast and they did not have the mark of Satan or the beast on their foreheads. That is the key. That is the most important thing, isn't it? Not what is the 1,000 years, but looking at ourselves and saying, are we holding on to the Word of God? Are we testifying to Jesus? Are we worshipping the beast? Or are we identified with the beast in any way? See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day chapter 20 is about endurance, perseverance, and going the distance. See, uh, this uh, uh, preacher Mark Deaver was saying, you know, many times as Christians, we feel that uh, being a Christian is not worth it because we don't want to give up too much. Uh, we don't want to give up our sexual freedom. We, don't, we want to be able to sleep with whoever we want to sleep with or see whatever we want to see. We don't want to give up our relationship freedom. We, we want to be able to go out whoever we want to go out with and mix whoever we want to mix with. We don't like to give up our monetary freedom. We want to do what we want with our money. We don't want to give up our thinking freedom. We want to think of whatever we want to think of. But here in this passage is saying that we must persevere and endure and go the distance. Why? Because we want to be in the first resurrection and we want to avoid the second death. That is the most important thing, not the 1,000 years. Now I'm going to skip the next section, the Satan's doom, and just go straight to the last part, verse 11. Then I saw a great throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the great Sorry, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now again, we are confronted with the picture of judgment. And as we've seen in the other visions, whenever judgment comes, earth disappears. Right? So if you look up here, 
Next slide. Uh, when you had the, the sixth seal, okay, the sixth seal, I watched as you opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Okay, that's the sixth seal. Again, the seventh bowl, look what it says, right? The seventh bowl poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done! Then came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, a severe earthquake. No earthquake like, like it has ever occurred uh, since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the earth collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the islands could not be found. Okay, so pictorially, next slide. Now, here we have like uh, the earth being destroyed here. The earth is destroyed again. And as we keep saying, uh, the visions are like instant replays of the same event, right? God doesn't sort of destroy creation, recreate creation, destroy again, recreate it, right? So what we're seeing here in chapter 20, in many ways, is like another, another camera looking at Judgment Day. And on that day, Satan is destroyed. And with it, creation will also be destroyed. And the most important thing which, which is being said here is, there will be a book open on that day. Actually, there are many books open on that day. It's just a visual picture. I'm not sure whether there are many, many books, right? I mean, for all you know, it could be a computer hard drive, right? But all they're saying is, everything that you've done will be captured. It doesn't matter whether you're great or small, powerful or weak, you can't buy your way out of this judgment. You can't uh, pull strings to avoid standing before the white throne. And each and every one of us will stand before this great white throne of God and we will face judgment. And the interesting thing is, uh, the grave of, or death is just merely a halfway house. Right? Death is like a prison, like a guard. Some people say death is like a guard. But on that last day, we will all move out of the halfway house and we will all face judgment before this great white throne. So, you know, when you read the obituary on Sundays, right, or on the weekends or on the weekdays, there is no, death is not the final resting place. Okay, that is not the final resting place of anybody. There is another final resting place. That is the reality. But if you are in the book, but you're not in the book of life, then your final resting place will be this lake of fire of great pain and suffering for eternity. So the point here is that you've got to make sure that not only are you in that first resurrection, but because you're in that first resurrection, you are in the book of life. Now, how do you get into that book of life? Right? Well, again, in Revelation chapter 3, earlier on, uh, Jesus talks about, the next slide, talks about this book of life. He said, yet there are, there are, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Uh, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, will be like them, dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. But we acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. See what it means? What does it mean to be in the book of life? It is to steadfastly follow Jesus. To not be soiled by this world. Right? It's the same thing as uh, what he said earlier on. Testifying to Jesus. Holding on to the word of God. And not being soiled by the world. Not having the mark of the beast. Not worshipping this world. So the heart of the passage is not about the thousand years. The heart of the picture is about whether you are in the book of life and whether you are going to avoid the lake of fire, uh, whether you are in that first resurrection. 
See, the ultimate reality is not your PSLE, and it's not your O-levels, it's not even your marriage or the birth of your child, right? or even uh, some other thing in your life, your, your, your yearly review with your CEO or whatever, right? or even death. The great reality is this great climax. When, when each of us, can you imagine each and every one of us will stand before this great white throne, and God has this book, and every thought, every action, every word that you've done is recorded there. And, and on that day, if you stand there by yourself, naked before God, then it's a terrible, terrible suffering, isn't it? It's, it's a terrible feeling. Because you have no one to take that punishment for you. But only if you are in Jesus Christ, then you'll be able to look forward to salvation because you can see your name in the book of life. In, in the world we live in, people think you can get away with everything, right? You just look at the newspaper, people think they can get away with things that they do in their bedroom, they get away with things that they do with their taxes, uh, things that they say, the things that they do with money, the things they do with their time. But God says people can get away with nothing, right? Because it's all written down in these books. Even your thoughts are written down in these books. And no one can escape. But the only people who will be able to avoid their punishment is because Jesus has paid for them. The Lamb has paid for their punishment already. Those who are in the book of life. So as you come to today's passage, it doesn't matter if you can figure out the 1,000 years, right? You could figure out everything about the 1,000 years. You could be the best armchair prophet in the whole of history. But if you are not in the book of life, then woe is you, isn't it? If you can figure out everything, you could be the, the most uh, fantastic professor in the world, but you are not holding on to the word of God or testifying to Jesus and you're soiled by this world, then what is the point of Revelation chapter 20 for you? It's, it's meaningless for you because you've missed the point. you figured out what, what the 1,000 years is, but you've, you've missed the point that it's about you know, resurrection, it's about the lake of fire, it's about God's judgment, it's about the book of life. That's what it's really about. So I really pray that all of us here, uh, our names are all in the book of life. I mean... I can't see the book of life, but I know hopefully when you go up there, yes, you know your name is there, right? Hopefully it's not spelled wrongly or something, right? But you know your name is there, and that you are, you know, you are again admittance into heaven. Okay, so I pray that every one of us uh, will really get to, to the book of life and that we'll all be resurrected and uh, escape the lake of fire. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we, we come before you today, Help us to see this great reality of judgment to come. Help us to see that you are God who sees and knows all things. That there is a record of all our wrongs uh, in heaven. That uh, our thoughts, our actions, our words, our deeds, everything is totally transparent to you. We can hide in no place. And that uh, without Jesus... Surely we will all perish and go into that lake of fire. Uh, we do not know if this is a literal lake, but we know that it's a picture of great suffering and agony for eternity. And we pray for each and every one of us here. We pray for our friends and family uh, outside. We pray for relative, uh, relatives, uh, classmates, colleagues, that they too will, will avoid this terrible uh, destination. Uh, we pray that as we we, we listen to your word in Revelation 20. We will persevere and endure all the more. For nothing in this world uh, is worth giving up 
uh, being in the book of life. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.